This is the intro song for the Never Daily podcast that we do called The Hugs Podcast. Let's start by taking a deep breath of something, preferably air. And as the emotional, pensive guitar music comes in, let all of your worries go. Take another deep breath and prepare yourself for this episode. It might suck. Or... It might free your earballs to soar with the beagles. This is the Hugs Podcast. Welcome back to the Hugs Podcast, where the rest of your day is only minutes away, where we strive to fill your earballs with something less expensive than gas, but undoubtedly more intrinsically important to your soul. Good stories. Come for the stories, stay for the accents. And with me today, today and forever, is Kent Chungus. Had to remind me on that forever, didn't you, Op? I just Wanda. feel that weight bearing down on me and contractually obligated to to be here. So Yeah, we're thank doing another you. Hugs podcast and now it's me and Op. Yeah. Hugs Pod, yeah. So a little housekeeping on here on episode oh one of the new format. We have seven episodes in what we're calling a lost season that you can find on Patreon. I'm actually uploading the seventh episode of that, which I've sat on for, geez, six months. I don't know how long. I know how long. We recorded it on September 9th of 2021. Oh, wow. Okay, September, October, November, December, January, February, March. Ew. Call it seven months, seven, eight months? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I feel bad about that. But one of the reasons that we... We went away from hugs at in that format, which at the time the format was myself, Kent, and Jack Luna. And the idea behind hugs is to bring you cool stories and and uh, cast a little bit of a wider net than our normal fodder for podcasts, which is sort of aimed right in true crime. Uh, this is to try to cast a little wider of a net into just really cool stories, good stories, fun stuff to sh- know and share. Um, and the concept was really neat, we thought, and we all got together, and then we kind of found out that Jack can't tell a good story. <laughs> well, it's the the bad childhood and the drug abuse and the molestations <laughs> and the all. It's just like he sees everything the way. I'd, I'd imagine Tim Burton does. Yeah, yeah. It's like if Tim Burton and John Wayne Gacy had a baby. Uh, that's how he views the world. Um, you know, and no no fault of his own. Like, he brought some bangers. He brought some good stories. It was always funny. He did. Like, the concept, when you listen to those seven episodes, is at least I, stri- I strive to kind to do this blindside story where I get you at the end, right? Uh, what's being uh, what's being talked about. 
Jack brought some good stories, and they always started out like very interesting and very, you know, very hugs-like. And then they always ended with, <laughs> I don't know, something that just... Like somebody died of cancer or somebody was raped or... Yeah, molestation. There was, uh, was decomposition <laughs> at, at the end of every story. The last, ep- the last episode that on episode seven, which I'm uploading uh, here soon to, to Patreon. By the way... All of those episodes, they'll be on Patreon, but I'm going to make them free for pu- for the public consumption on Patreon. So when you go to patreon.com forward slash 1159media, the Lost Hugs season, episodes one through seven, will be there for free. You just have to kind of hunt them down uh, amongst our feed. For example, like, you know, Jack telling an upbeat story is like a girl gets kidnapped by a serial rapist. And but dies before he can rape her. Like that's yeah, the happy yeah, like, ending. Like, but and he's like, but guys, look, she didn't, she didn't get raped. She died before the. It was blood loss. Yeah, she didn't suffer. Yeah, <laughs> or the last one, the last story he picked. I won't give it away, but it's it's a horrible thing that happens in it. But at one point, the criminal tries to hug. Uh, the victim, and when Jack heard, when Jack read that part of the story, he's like, "Oh, oh, this one's good for hugs." Then, well, I'll use yeah. this one for. <laughs> There's a hug in it. <laughs> so here he here he comes. Ah, uh, yeah, he's like the juggernaut of 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 terrible dark stories. So, um, we we talked for a minute, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't really want to do that <laughs> anymore." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so, so uh, I'm here not we much are. better. No, your stories are fun. So I, I, I have really enjoyed the stories you've brought so far. Our evil plan here is to cast a wider net because I found out that our advertisers in general are really hard to come by in true crime podcasting, in the genre of true crime. It's actually kind of hard yeah. to get advertisers. And uh, I was talking to our host one time. I'm like, so what What do people do? Like, how, how, uh, how would we get around this? And they're like, well... To a podcast that's not true crime. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so here, here we, we are. are. Here we are. And now the the audience knows this is a Trojan horse for ads. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what this, what this is. is. But we keeps it real at 11.59. And this is yeah. us trying to make money off of our podcast because nobody wants anything to do with us. Yeah, exactly. This is good stories and ads. And have No stories. cap. Happy and I don't even know what no cap means. Me neither, but I'm like, my son says it all the time. Does he really? You should make him stop. I'm going to. I'm actually grounding him the next time he says it. But yes, yeah, so no, we're happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Kent's contractually obligated to be here, so yep. uh, here we are. Also, Kent also has something to look forward to right after this episode. Don't you, Kent? Yes. Yeah, a pizza. That's the carrot that's dangling at the end of the string of this episode because I've been eating healthy, and mm. it's my cheat meal day. And my cheat meal is a pizza, a buffalo chicken pizza from Domino's Pizza, which uh, I just see up his his Seething. left eyes <laughs> twitching. There is a small story of uh an event that happened which was Kent and Jack and I met for the first time in 2 3 years we've never we had never met we built the whole 1159 mini empire uh virtually 
never meeting each other. And then we finally met in Baraboo, Wisconsin. And one of the things we decided to do was order a buffalo chicken pizza from Domino's. We went and got it, and there was no buffalo sauce on the pizza at all. It was just cheese and chicken. And I proceeded. At, well, and if you think about that, that's one third of the pizza. Because it's a buffalo chicken pizza. Yeah. And then you just have a chicken pizza. And you guys were okay with this, and you let it roll off your back like a duck when we got back to the cabin. I proceeded to uh, make it into the mission for the rest of the night to uh, resolve this issue with Domino's. And um, yeah, never really got it resolved, but there's video footage apparently of me on the phone acting like a total Karen. It was fun. It was memorable. I think that what it was is you hadn't slept and you were stressed out and you were also had a lot of anxiety because you were meeting me and Jack and I was the first night. And I yeah. think that it was like, I can control this one thing. I can... This is there's something I can do. I can't I can't change the fact that I'm in the cabin with these two guys who make me nervous <laughs> and I don't enjoy being around, but I can change this one thing, this pizza. Yeah. I can fix this. And it turns out I I couldn't actually. You could not. No. I called them back and I was like Ring, ring, ring. And they didn't actually pick up the phone for like four attempts to call them. And then finally they picked it up. By the way, having no idea who was calling. And they just said, oh, we're really busy. <laughs> that was Domino's Pizza's response. when. And you couldn't have even returned the pizza because me and Jack were already eating it. Yeah, it was kind of said and done. Finally, they did agree to, give the pe- to replace the pizza. And just out of spite, we never went and picked it up. So... I'd like to say that was the worst thing we did on that trip, but you can learn all about our trip on Patreon. Uh, we did a live dark meat from the cabin, if you're so inclined. Now, I think this is actually the fourth time we've told that story. So we're going to not tell it anymore, and yeah. we're going to move on. I control this thing, and you're contractually obligated to be here, so you can start with your story first, Kent. Okay. Okay, submitted for the approval of the Op Society. I call this story Castaway. This is Castaways? Yeah, because there's more than one. Okay. But, All right. Okay. Uh, but I also call this story uh, The Real Lord of the Flies. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Lord of the Flies or Castaway Op? I've read the book Lord of the Flies and I've seen the movie Castaway. You never seen the movie where the little fat boy with the glasses gets the rock dropped on his head after. Sp- Holding the gong? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. Haven't watched the movie. I believe when it came out, I was younger, and it was wasn't it rated R? It was. Yeah, I've read the book as well. The movie's better than the book. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, so I I would have to go back and watch the movie, and then um, probably bleach my eyes and say ten prayers. But I'll do it. Well, today I'm t- I'm bringing a, a real life version of Lord of the Flies to the table, but. Nobody dies in this one, Um, and and it turns out when when we as people, well, young people, get stranded uh, on an island together, they don't break into groups and start killing each other and go feral. Uh, It's actually more uplifting what happens. Oh, really? I'm interested to hear what really happens. Well, the time period we're going to is 1965 up, and we're going to Tonga. Ooh, yeah. Tonga. And uh, it's here in Tonga that a a 16-year-old man by the name of, well, not man, young fella by the name of Mano Tatu 
and his and five of his friends, and they were all ranging from the ages of 13 to 17. They're there at Tonga studying at a boarding school. And Tonga is, by the way, an island in the out in the Pacific Ocean. It's kind of its own little own little place there. Kind of exotic out there. It's like yeah, a- it is really beautiful actually. And all five, well, all six of these young men, they spoke English. It's like the Great Value Hawaii. Exactly. Kirkland Signature Diet Hawaii. If Hawaii is meth, Tonga is Suboxone. Close, but not quite the same. But more beheadings. <laughs> now I'm really interested. And all these young men, just in case you're wondering, and I don't guess it really matters, they are not black, but they are not white. They are like a, a rock character from Moana. Okay. They're Tongan. They're Tongan. Okay, Tongan, mini tattoo in his friends. They look like Cubans, B. <laughs> now that we got the skin color dialed in. <laughs> they look like Filipinos almost, but darker and but not looking like Filipinos at all. Yeah, your descriptions are very deceptive for the brain. They don't look like white people, but they kind of look like black people, but they look more like white people. All right. <laughs> and that's a Tongan. Okay. But if you saw one from a distance, you'd be like, who's that? If you saw like maybe a, a mile, maybe a quarter mile or a, a half mile or seven miles with binoculars, you'd be like, who's that black fellow over there? Mm, yeah. But as you got closer, the melanin seems to uh, shift. Yeah. And the facial features. Right. Yeah. Very yeah. confusing looking people. You can't really, <laughs> if you saw them at a, at a, if you saw them, if you saw them at a Applebee's, you wouldn't be able to like finger them. Like where they, not like finger them, like with your finger, not physically. Oh. I mean, if you're into that, if you're into Tongans, but like you wouldn't be able to figure out where they were. You'd be like, that's not a white person. That's not a black person. That's a Filipino. Wait, that's not a Filipino. It's a Tongan. Tongans look like if you asked a fourth grader to draw a black person. They're smart enough to not grab the black crayon would be. Yes, but they don't know facial features of other ethnicities yet. If you asked a little white, a little white kid, a little cracker, in elementary school to draw a black person. That's what Tongans look like. Oh, here's a funny thing. Now that you're mentioning that, have you seen Crayola has a, a series of colored pencils, markers, and crayons out? Yeah, but they're called Colors of the World. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, you know what color isn't in the box? White. You mean like like white, like the color white, or like there's not even like a peach color? No, there's peach color, but the color white is missing. And I will say, I know some Irish individuals that yeah, could take... Yeah, I've seen powder. <laughs> that electrical fella. Yeah. I was, I was very uh, impressed that, 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 well, one, the color, the color guide is very diverse. I mean, there, there are a lot of skin colors. I didn't really realize how many there are. Some of them even look jaundiced. That One of the colors, in particular, jaundiced colors, they call it light, medium, golden. That's like an Asian color. You, you, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they basically color sampled skin tones from multiple races around the world and threw them all in a box, which I don't think is actually legal to do with a race. You can't throw them in a box, but they did. And now we have Not it. Not since got the them. 1800s. No, no. We've got almond colors, rose colors. We've got more almond colors, deep rose colors. A lot of almonds and roses, basically, with some gold thrown in. 
My favorite thing about this podcast is that we think we think advertisers are going to want to be a part of this. Yeah, yeah, they're not. They're not. They they are not. This is this is marketing t- toxic. This is just yeah, toxic for marketing. It so. is. I don't know why we went. We did such a deep dive into the skin color of these of these six young men, but 1965 Tonga. Six young men between the ages of six, 13 to 17. They're out of boarding school and and they're feeling a little bit mischievous. Op, you know that they want to they want to get into a little bit of trouble. Maybe maybe go on an adventure. And because of this, they decide they want to go to Fiji. And and is that near there? Fiji. Do what? Is that near there? No, it's only 500 miles away over ocean. I was gonna say, yeah, I didn't think there was a land bridge there to it's not a land bridge. They're not connected. No. No, it's not just a hop and a skip. It's like a hop and a skip and then a long sea ride over treacherous waters. But these these six young men, they don't have a boat and they want to go to Fiji. They're feeling mischievous. They're like, hey, we should go see Fiji. It's only 500 miles away over (laughs) ocean. So they steal an old welling sailboat that doesn't have an engine. And this is normal stuff. This is normal teenage stuff. I remember being young and feeling rebellious. Me, personally, I would just draw mustaches on the women in my social studies books. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But I can also see the the draw of Fiji being 500 miles away. Yeah, it's just a, a titch above what uh, you or I might have gotten ourselves into, the bucket of syrup of problems we had as children. Fiji's just, you know, the next step. I will say, good water comes from Fiji. Best bottled water you can buy. I it's like true. it because it comes out of a square bottle that changes the taste 100%. Yeah, the corners seem to concentrate the really good water in the bottle. Also, they stack a lot better if you're into yeah. stacking your bottles sideways. Exactly. And I would say a close second up is that smart water. I enjoy that as well. Bottom of the list, Dasani. And none of this has anything to do with this story. Nothing. Now, the young men, they hit... <clears throat> They had no map and they had no compass and apparently no common sense. <laughs> Once again, this boat doesn't have yeah. an engine. It's just a sailboat. They're basically children. And on the first night, they, so they steal this boat, they hit the ocean, they're, they're going to Fiji. And on the first night in the darkness, a violent storm comes through and rips the sails and the rudder off of the boat. They're now just out there basically fly, floating in the open ocean in a giant cereal bowl. That's uh, precarious. Hey, I've got a quick question for you since you're talking about this. Then I've got an answer. Okay. Have you ever heard somebody when they're talking about like losing control and they're like, I was just floundering out there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard anybody say, I was just foundering out there? I thought foundering is when you ate too much of a food that you enjoyed and then you don't enjoy the food anymore. No, maybe. Well, maybe, maybe. You I was heard somebody f- say I foundered on that food. No, no, that, that was must a be a phrase Kentucky. I heard growing up the whole time. Like I did Kentucky that with chicken and dumplings. Thing. Love chicken and dumplings. Ate chicken and dumplings too much at Thanksgiving. I can't even look at chicken and dumplings without gagging now, and I foundered on them. Uh, I guess I could see why, because f- there is a difference between foundering and floundering. Foundering means to sink or collapse or fail. So, yeah, I guess you would fail to desire chicken and dumplings again. And then floundering means to just kind of struggle to move 
or proceed clumsily, like, you know, so in this case, they weren't foundering necessarily, were they? They were floundering out there. They were floundering out there, yeah. And hopefully, chicken and I mean, if, if they foundered out there, we wouldn't be telling the story. We wouldn't because this they would be a dark topic. Not. Yeah. This would be the one Jack would be telling on Hugs. <laughs> Jack would be telling it. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. So they drifted out there in the open ocean. These, these six young men drifted out there in their cereal bowl. They drifted out there for eight days. Eight days, no food, no water, just being pushed around by the wind. And on the eighth day, when they were almost near death, they finally, in the hori- on the horizon, saw a small, rocky, volcanic island. And by sheer luck, 100% luck, the wind uh, pushed their little shitty boat right onto the shore of it in one large wave and sent it crashing onto the volcanic rocks there. And the impact shattered the boat almost in half and sent the boys tumbling out. Uh, They all flip-flopped to shore and laid there for a moment, and then they came in for one big hug. They had survived. They had survived. Uh, But spoiler alert to the surprise of nobody, this is not Fiji. Turns out the boys, they had drifted 100 miles off course and had landed on a tiny little uninhabited island that is now called Atta, A-T-A. Now, our six young men, they tend to their wounds. They were scraped and bruised up. They had landed on a rocky shore there. And it is here that they are able to salvage an old oar, and they find a piece of wire. And they use those two things. Now, this is, like I said, uninhabited. God knows how long things from from people have been washing up on this on this shoreline without anybody there to, to pick it up. So, yeah, they find an old oar and a piece of wire, and they use this to help catch fish, which they then ate raw. They also raided the nest of seabirds and drank their blood and ate any eggs that they could find raw because they couldn't find any fresh water. So these young men, they're raiding the nest of these birds. They're drinking their blood. They're eating their eggs. Now, they could see at the top of the mountain on this island a flat plateau area that was just lush with vegetation and forest, and they could hear birds. But there was no way to get to it. It was a steep cliff, and it was like the Lord was playing a mean mean prank on these a mean prank on these young men like here it is but you will never get this you know so they live like this <laughs> for 100 days they camp underneath a rocky overhang there on the on the uh, on the on the shore and for 100 days they're just eating raw fish and birds and and eggs and and coming by water any way that they can now eventually after 100 days, one the, the young man of the group, Mano, and another young man named Sion, they, they do find a way, and they climb up the small mountain to the top of the island's forested plateau to scout for resources. It took them two days to get there to the top of this mountain. And, uh, and they discover a paradise, a lush paradise. Trees. Grass. They said there was a breeze up there, a, a cool, nice, pleasant breeze, birds. And it also turns out that uh, a century earlier, there on that very same island of Atta, in the mid-1800s, this same island had been a small, thriving Tongan community. However, around 1871, slave traders came through and, you know, they did what 
slave traders do. And uh, all of those people from that Tonga community were taken and the island was left abandoned and, and had been remained abandoned until the boys boat hit its shore a hundred years later. How did they get there? That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe in like 1600, uh, a couple of young men went, hey, let's go to Fiji. (laughs) (laughs) Repeating history is what's happening here every century or two. Exactly. There was an old, there used to be a community here a hundred years earlier. Obviously it's grown up. Most of the stuff has rotted away, but they do in this, and what's left of this kind of frozen in time little community from 1871 they find a clay pot. They find a usable rusty machete. Yeah, so they cleaned it up. They found an old machete. They cleaned it up, got the rust off of it, and tried to sharpen it on rocks. So they have they now have themselves a machete, a clay pot. But most importantly, what they find are tons of now feral chickens. When the slave dudes came through and did what slave dudes do, they left the chickens behind. Those chickens had babies. And now we, I did the math, we have 18 generations. These are the descendants of slave chickens. Were they, they were all alive? They were like alive, just hanging out? They were out? all alive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the original chickens from, from 1871 were dead. Yeah. But they had eggs and babies, and then those babies had babies. And now we've got feral chickens. But chickens, nonetheless, if you're hungry, chicken, that's like well, looking at a double cheeseburger running around on the ground. I just am curious. Nope. I was going to ask about, I was going to ask about fire, but I'm going to let you, cause I'm sure that it's got to be a point, point of, of uh, discussion here. So, okay. Yeah. So let me continue on with my, okay. okay. They so, were sorry. also able to finally pull off a fire. Oh, <laughs> by, <laughs> by using the fire plow method. Oh yes. And that is way harder than it looks in movies. It is. It takes a lot of muscles. Now, we're not talking about uh, the bow method, which is, you know, a stick with no. bow and, a bow and string method. And, and we're not talking about the drill method, the bow and drill method. We're talking about the plow, which is just taking a stick and a rubbing a log until you make a fire. Sounds a lot like m- one of my first dates. So. so. Oof. Sounds like when I when I discovered masturbation. I've seen your hands, yeah, Mister Gruffy Gus. But this is a family show, so. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> but after after sitting there and rubbing two sticks together for God knows how long, probably two days, they they do get a little ember, and that ember turns into a flame, and the boys with that flame create a large fire, and they set up fire duty where they had one guy watching the flame around the clock at all times. And that one fire kept them alive for the remainder of this story. And it is a very long time. They only ever had to make a fire one time. Wow. That's amazing. One time. Isn't fire cool? That is crazy. You know, and you hear about that. Like, uh, we take that for granted, right, in our day and age. But there are still actually cultures where they just keep a fire going all the time. Yeah. Like Irish people, they're always in the pub. I mean, they're just constantly drunk. Yeah. Keeping it real. They started that fire 250 years ago. And you got to keep feeding, uh, feeding. You can't let it burn out. Yep. That's when you get a hangover. Just like slave chickens. Yep. So the rest of the boys, they fought, they follow the trail up to the top of this plateau. And it's where it, it is here that these six young men, they build them a little paradise. At nighttime, they begin catching these wild chickens with their fires. They can now eat hot meals, chicken breasts. And they built a chicken pen. And at one point, 
They had 200 live chickens at their disposal in their chicken pen. Man, you, it's also interesting to think that even from the other side of the mountain, makes you wonder if every once in a while they're just sitting there in the dead quiet during the evening, and then all of a sudden they hear kind of a, you know, from a far distance, and they're like, what was that? That sounded just like a turkey. It doesn't sound anything like a fucking chicken. <laughs> the the noise waves were modified by the heat in the air and the wind. And the, coming around the side of the mountain, it, it, you know, occluded the actual sound. It's turkey, yeah. But they were like, what was that? And they're like, nothing. Go back to sleep. And then now they know. It's 200 chickens. 200 chickens they had at their disposal. And they also said that they kind of refrained from eating the chickens uh, unless absolutely necessary because there were so many birds that they could catch. Uh, that they would just like the chickens were like, if they don't got birds, they can just feast on the chickens. They're eating pretty well, considering the situation. They hauled it out logs and began capturing rainwater. Uh, one of the young men remembered a technique that his father taught him when he was younger about drilling into the trunk of certain trees. And over time, those trees uh, start excreting water into puddles. So they ended up uh, setting up stations uh, on all these trees and having uh, water sources, not to mention the logs. And everything else, they built a hut out of palm fronds. So they had a they had a little house there out of palm fronds. They made a garden where they harvested bananas and beans, and they eventually built a TJ Maxx and a little Caesars <laughs> where they could get a hot and fresh pizza for just five coconuts. Just prior to the TJ Maxx and. <laughs> Little Caesars, I was about to say, you know, even if they showed up to get rescued, I'm not quite sure I'd want to leave. I don't think I would either, because there's pictures of this island. It's fucking gorgeous. Wow. It's beautiful. Mm. And they're with their friends, their best friends in the world. Yeah. The only downside I can think of is this is six young men at the peak in their testosterone, and there's not a female inside. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But, I mean, if you're old and retired. Also, keep in mind, they're on top of a mountain overlooking the ocean 360 degrees. That's amazing. They could probably see home. Well, maybe not 500 miles. Well, who knows? Well, they were 100 miles. 100 miles. They had made it 100 miles, yeah. They might be able to see Tonga from 100 miles off. I don't know. Got binoculars. But they didn't have binoculars. They ended up making some that they actually didn't even have to make them. They bought them at the TJ Maxx (laughs) that they built. And at this point, I need to point out to the listener, they did not build a TJ Maxx on oh, Little Caesars. Uh, so they, uh, so like I said, they've got a hut built out of, they've got a little house. They've got a garden with bananas and beans at their disposal. They got 200 chickens. They also built a badminton court and a makeshift gym. And that is true. That's not a joke. They, they did have a badminton. They also regularly held boxing matches uh, between each other to keep their uh, energy and muscle mass up. So they exercise together. Hang on, rewind for one second. You, oh. You said that they would opt to not eat chicken because they had other birds. Are other birds better to eat than chicken? I don't know why, uh, but it seemed like on there, there. So there was like a good 60 to 70 feet down this mountainside that was heavily vegetated where these, uh, these, uh, these birds would nest. These large, they almost look like seagulls. And I, the way that I took it, I watched them catching them. It looked like they couldn't fly. Oh, okay. And they could just reach back in and grab these birds and their eggs. Mm. And they were just like at their disposal. Like they were, it was like going to the grocery store. Basically, there were so many of them. Wow. 
So it was like, I don't, uh, so maybe easier. I think what it was is them preparing for uh, winter. Okay. Like, okay. We might need these deer. We've got all these birds right now. They're going to migrate when winter comes. If there, I don't even know if winter is a thing here on this island. This is that's the best explanation that I can come up with though is them taking into account seasons or something and saying like we we're going to need those chickens uh, while we have these birds here. Let's eat them. That makes sense. Also, I I would imagine after that long they would be th- their day would be consumed with. Uh, efforts with a consideration toward energy conservation. And if you can walk up on a giant bird and grab it, and it has more muscle mass on it than a chicken, then, yeah, get that, because it's less of a struggle. And you get its eggs. Yeah, yeah. Less risk, less struggle, more more return, more bang for your buck when you're talking about energy consumption. Huh. Hmm. Exactly. Okay. So they've got birds, they've got bananas, they've got beans. Uh, they got coconuts. Uh, they got fire. All they got hot meals. They got fish. They've got. Uh, they're still eating fish, catching fish. They 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 occasionally catching crab. This is a luxury resort. By the time they're done, yeah, they've got a badminton court. They've got a gym. The only thing they're missing is women. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, back on Tonga, their homeland, days turn to weeks. Weeks turn to months, months turn to years, years turn to decades, decades turn to centuries, centuries turn to millennia, they millennia turn to aeons, and then the fu- swearing fucking sun exploded and ended <laughs> all off in the solar system. The end. The end. <laughs> Except the chickens. They survived. I did jump ahead in the story just a little bit there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on Tonga, days did turn to weeks, and weeks did turn to months, and eventually... The boys were given up for dead by their families, and funerals were held for the six missing boys uh, while their families all wept over empty graves. Wow. So they're uh, they're pretty much, it's decided they're dead. This was after about three months that they gave up. Now, back on Ada, the boys are living their best life. They set up a ship watch shift. So they've got one guy always on duty for the fire. And they've got one guy always on duty for ship watch, which just means basically hanging out on top of the mountain and st- and looking at the beautiful ocean and looking for ships. Yeah, cause, um, uh, and honestly, what are they going to do? I guess light a fire at the top of the mountain yes. if they saw a ship? Yes. Huh. That was the agreed upon, yes. During a hunt one day, and this is just a side note, during a hunt one day, they do out in the woods in this forest, this uninhabited. They discover the bones of an old man, and they bury him and make him a grave. You know, this is just a bunch of kids having the time of their lives. Just oh, so maybe there. maybe they did. So somebody died from that original establishment. The original group, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah, I don't know how they knew that it was an old man. He had been dead a hundred years at this point. Yeah, you know. Uh, I don't know if they were making assumptions. Well, maybe it was just a could have. I guess I would imagine that the skeleton of an old man, an old, uh, an old skinny man, looks the same as like a thirteen-year-old or fourteen-year-old girl. Yeah, and if I saw both of those skeletons, I would think both of them were old men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially if it's been laying on the forest floor for a hundred years. Yeah, it's been yeah. picked over. Now they do. The boys do pretty much live in live in harmony. They, they, what, there are occasional little spits, little disputes, 
Uh, but when this would happen, they, there was an agreement that the two would walk to the opposite sides of the island and cool off. So in the event that there was a misunderstanding or, or a disagreement, they would just take a, take a walk. One would go to the one side of the island, the other would go to the other. At nighttime, they would come back, and it was over. It's really interesting. You know, you think about, about just in, pure, in a pure sense, when you basically don't even tell a handful of boys to go out and create a government and to survive and subsist, that that's what they came up with, and that was their way of conflict resolution. You know, yeah. Hollywood and and books and everything would have you believe that it's Lord of Flies. It's you you live or die. You know, but it's so interesting when it really comes down to it. The real life version of Lord of the Flies. They they chose peace. Yeah, and working together. This was all teamwork. Everybody pulled their weight at one point. Uh, one of the young men fell down the the cliff face. He, it wasn't long, about twenty foot, and he ended up breaking his leg. And uh, the other young men doctored him back to health, and the bone ended up healing. Healing, he could walk on it after about uh, I think they said four months. He was able. There was a scar, but he was able to walk and run again. Um, and they took care of him and brought him back to health. Yeah, that's amazing. So. Now we're fast-forwarding to September of 1966, 15 months after the boys landed on the island. An Australian lobster fisherman by the name of Peter Warner was sailing near Atta when he spotted some smoke and a burned-out patch. He knew this was an uninhabited island and had been for, for 100 years. So he was immediately curious. One of the boys was on ship watch, spotted it, started screaming and yelling. And that's when the young men start making their way very hastily and very quickly down the mountainside to the shore. So this is how long? 15 months. 15 months. Okay. Uh, Almost a year and a half. Wow. They've been here. They built this paradise. Crazy. Uh, So so this, uh, this white fisherman, Australian fisherman by the name of Peter Warner, he sails closer to figure out what's going on, looks through his binoculars, and on the shoreline, he sees a human figure. He watches the figure dive off of a rock and into the water and starts swimming towards him. And not long after, five other little human figures follow. They're all in the water, just swimming as fast as they can towards this boat. And before long, the six boys are pulling themselves up onto Peter Warner's ship. But unfortunately, he was racist, so he threw them back into the water and left. <laughs> and darn it. Well, next time. <laughs> and then they died on the shores. Peter Warner did good, though. Ended up creating Microsoft. Oh, interesting. So. Worked out for somebody. <laughs> good. I'm kidding. Peter Warner was a good dude. Uh, he uh, gave the boys blankets and food and uh, and then asked them what was going on. Unfortunately, these six Tongan, these young six Tongan boys, they speak almost perfect English. They tell them their names. They tell them what happened. You know, 15 months ago, a year and a half ago, we stole a, we stole a boat. We were trying to get to Fiji. We ended up going here. This is not Fiji, Peter. <laughs> And and he's like, no, it's not Fiji, jackass. And <laughs> and uh, and then he, uh, Peter Warner, he radios Nuka Alofa, which is the capital of Tonga. And uh, when he talks to them on the radio, the authorities there confirm everything that the boys were saying. Yes, we had marked them up for dead a year and a half ago. Uh, we've already had funerals. You you found uh, dead kids, pretty much, as far as we were concerned. Wow. Peter Warner then sails the boys back to Tonga. And the second they get on shore there at Tonga, the boys 
are immediately apprehended by police and arrested for stealing a boat. <laughs> no. And that's true. I'm not pulling your chain this time. Are you kidding? <laughs> that's their welcome home was to get arrested? Oh, my <laughs> What? <laughs> no way. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. They all died in prison. The end. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, the, the fisherman that had saved them, Peter Warner, uh, was a very good man. And what, when he found out that they, when he saw that they were arrested, he immediately started making arrangements and paid the owner of the boat off, uh, that had owned the boat and all charges were dropped and the boys were then released and returned to their families. Oh, wow. 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 You know, the, I have to say that I, I've known a handful of Tongans in my life. Uh, when I lived in Chicago, I went to school with one and, um, the boy that I knew, he got, he got like out of line in class this one time and and he got sent to the principal's office. I got sent to the principal's office uh, at the same time, but mine was like to pick something up that my mom was bringing or something. So I'm sitting outside in like the secretary area and I can see him in the principal's office through the open door. And while I'm sitting there, his dad came and the principal meets him out in the secretary area near me and they're talking and, and the dad was like, well, can I just, uh, can I just have a minute with my son? And and uh, he's like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. And so he goes in and he closes the door and you hear the button lock tink. Uh-oh. And then he proceeded to whoop his son. Just whooped him. And the whole time the principal's like, sir, sir, sir. He's pounding on the door. He's trying to get him <laughs> to answer. Oh, my gosh. It was a riot. I was like, what is going on? And you can't do that these days. No, you can't. Not these Soft days. Ass no. kids. That was the 80s. So, you know. Everybody lived happily ever after op. The boys are now all old and they've got families of their own. Uh, they ended up having jobs. Uh, actually, one of the boys, I can't remember his name, ended up staying with Peter Warner. Peter Warner was 35 years old and, and that young man ended up being a, a, a captain of his own ship. And Peter Warner ended up being a, a, a mentor to him his entire life. And uh, in one interview, the, the the young man, who is now an old man, said that Peter Warner uh, is like a father to him. Wow. Um, and uh, that that he thanks God for him every day. And now, and if you're wondering about Peter Warner, uh, Peter Warner, the man who rescued the boys, died just last year on April 13th at the ripe old age of 90 years old. Wow. Man. In a fu- swearing fucking selling accident. No, <laughs> really? Yes. See, the story's so terrible and tragic and awesome. All wrapped. He didn't in die. One. No, I think that's awesome. Yeah, he is. didn't die like some old wrinkly old man in a bed holding on to his his necklace and scared. <laughs> he drowned out in the ocean in a selling accident at ninety years old. <laughs> oh wow, that's awesome. That is. This is like a Russian doll of. Of detail, just one layer after another. Some layers like stab you, and other layers are nice and candy coated. This is fun. Wow. But everybody lived old. Everybody survived. Everybody had families of their own. Everybody did well with their lives forward. And, and, uh, and this is my idea of just a, a, a happy story where when young men are stranded together on an island, they don't kill each other. They don't form hierarchies and, and gangs. 
they just live together in harmony, and when there is a little spat, they just walk it off. They built a paradise. That's so much to learn from this one. Also, I think it's important for us because there may be people that are listening to Hugs podcast for the first time um, and may determine they're like, oh, there's there's a bit of a contrast between these two gentlemen that are on this podcast. Um, namely, uh, Kent swears like a trucker. Uh, so, Kent, uh, tell the audience why, why? Well, I think it's a sign of unintelligence. <laughs> I was going to lean on the more respectable that you were. I have a limited vocabulary, (laughs) and I'm kind of stupid. And that's why. I I was going to go with you were a Marine and kind of. I was a Marine. Yeah. yeah, That didn't help. That certainly didn't help things. (laughs) And then I worked in corrections around inmates. So my whole life has has been molded to curse words. Yeah. And I got to be honest. I, I don't swear all that often, and and so hardly ever. Ev- I guess. Um, but what's funny is I I put Kent into the same category as I put Irish people, where I just don't hear it really when you swear, or or it just seems like you know natural conversation glue. Uh, so hopefully, um, you know, this show is meant for everyone to be able to listen to it around your nine year old and. Hopefully they feel the same way because it, that's probably not going to change. If you want to beep those out, <laughs> no, I think it would be even. It would make the the story even funnier. You know what I'll probably do for those people that are listening for the first time. You've probably have listened swear words, swear words. I'm just going to use my own voice and say swears, swear words. Yes, I'm going to do Sweary that. Swear. Yeah, I'll do that. That's a good <laughs> idea. I like it. Yeah. Adds flavor. So swear away, Kent, because I'm prepared. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try to. I'm, I'll try to limit it. I'll save the f bombs and everything and the masturbation talk yeah. for for like uh, brutal and TCK. Okay, and TCK being true crime Kent, which is Kent's very own show. Where oddly enough, I'm also on it as his his co-host and a genius side counterpart, side piece, if you will, arm candy. <laughs> and I can be as filthy as I want on that one. You can, you can, because it's your show. And although I, although it's. Uh, Produced and distributed by 1159 Media, we we let we we let it we let it go. We just know it's your place to roam. So you know, yeah, it's very blue. I believe they call it it blue. Yeah, yeah. I look at 1159 like a strip mall. I own the strip mall, but I can't uh, stop a strip Determine club. who sets up shop. <laughs> yeah, I can't stop a strip club from you know setting up shop in the strip mall, or you know a murder store if they have those. Where they just sell rope and tape. Yeah. So, well, I'm, that was a great story. That was really cool. Thank you for um, yes for for sharing that. Uh, also, I want to put you on the spot a little bit. This is really business conversation, so this uh, this may not go well. Having this this question posed to you on okay the show. How often do you want to do this show? Uh. Once a year. <laughs> okay. All right. It's oh, uh, close. We'll, we'll, we'll find a... We're a bit of long... We'll do an episode a week. Okay. All right. I was going to say we're at a episode bit... Episode a week? Yeah. Let's do an episode a week. You want to do an episode a week? Which really means one a month. 
<laughs> in 1159 media parlance. Yes, one a yes. month. So it'll be definitely never daily podcast, uh, probably once a week. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Realistically, once a month. Yeah. <laughs> Very likely once a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, now that we got that uh, little bit of housekeeping out of the way, I, I'll share my story. Okay. Hit me with it, Daddy. <laughs> I'm never going to let that I, yeah, Apparently, you're never going to because you say it on every episode, any chance you get. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I didn't really think up a title for this one, so I'm just going to go off of, just, you know, shoot from the hip. I'm going to call this one... Castaways. <laughs> you know what? I am. I'm going to call it Castaways, and you'll see why okay. at okay. the very end. This That works, actually. That's fun. Uh, okay. <clears throat> okay, this 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 story is titled Castaways. <clears throat> first, first, to start off, I have a question for you. Uh, hey, Kent. Yeah. Hey. Hey, what is the most annoying thing? You. <laughs> <laughs> I... I in my mind, as I was writing that, I was like, oh, he's going to talk about some colorful experience he had in the Marines or as a metal worker or some some experience that he had at uh, one of his uh, practical effects horror conventions. But but no. Uh, I'm sorry, Op. I love you, Op. <laughs> I love Daddy. Uh, oh I'm going to go with uh, the most annoying thing. I, for whatever reason— What grinds your gears? Respect. Respond to somebody tailgating me with pure rage. Yeah. I don't know why. It feels like somebody's challenging me. I, I don't know what it is, but something about somebody riding my rear end when I'm driving just sends me into a rage. How do you respond when someone is tailgating? How do you respond? I'll, uh, well, I, I remember I had a Camaro. I was going down the interstate one time. I did pull the e-brake on it running like 65 miles an hour. Nice. Solid. Solid. Slid sideways, almost wrecked. Uh, <laughs> it was all worth it though. Yeah, but the guy didn't ride my ass anymore. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'll, I'll do the brake check thing. Uh, I've, I've thrown a middle finger out. I'll, uh, I'll pull over. I'll, uh, I'll get into the other lane and do the, hang my hand out and wave real quick. Like, go on, you son of a bitch. You're in a hurry. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. I'm running 90 in a 70. Go on, you son of a bitch. I'm getting mad yeah. right now thinking about it. I, I'm the same way. I get I get mad. I, I, I would say I'm a lesson that's a lesson learned driver. You know, the kind that's like, oh, I'm gonna teach you a lesson. You know, and I wouldn't go as far as say I'm a rage driver because I don't I, I'm not at all. Yeah. I'm not a rage driver at all. It's just that one thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Actually, very, very interesting you bring that up because my son is going through driver's education, finished all the online courses, and he's getting getting ready to start his physical, like driving in the car lessons. Um, and so anytime we're in the car together, I'm kind of teaching him, you know, as things go down the road or I see something where it was done wrong or, you know, oh, what's the sign that's coming up? Tell me what that, the relevance of that, you know. So we're actively doing this all the time. And I had just finished talking to him about making sure that he's vigilant on the speed, the, the signs showing the speed changes on the roads. And I said, you'll notice here we're at this stoplight. When we get through, you'll see that 
through the stoplight, it's 35, but look right up there, there's a 45 mile an hour sign. And then, you know, 500 feet from there, there was a 55 mile an hour sign. So we almost hit this 45 mile an hour sign. I'm in the two, there's a two, it's two lanes, uh, both going the same direction. I'm in the right lane and I'm coming up at that 45 mile an hour uh, sign and and there was a car in front of me that was going much slower, much slower than 45. And so I was telling him, so when you're in in a lane like this and you see a car that's going too slow rather than just riding them, you just move over. If they're not going to go the speed limit, there's nothing you can do about that. So I was coming up on this car and uh, I was about to do what I was telling him. I was going to merge over into the left lane to pass him to make sure I was going the right speed, right? Well, just as I turn on my left turn signal to get in the other lane, I notice there's a car flanking me and I can't make the move. So now it looks like I just rolled right up on this guy's tail, right? Yeah. He's going 30 in a 45. It looks like I'm just a total jerk in my 99 Suburban, just right up to his tail. You're, you're all, you've already got a strike against you. I do. And I was like, ah. In the Suburban. Yeah. So I looked, a lifted Suburban with like. Yeah, big, you might as well be in a Hummer. Yeah. In a Hummer. Yeah. I looked, I looked yeah. very much, uh, very, very much like a, like, what do you call that? A uh, Karen. <laughs> might as well be in a yellow H2. <laughs> might as well. Yeah. Yes. Very much like a carrot. So I pull up on this. Oh, ba- Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. How do you know what the back That's of you. my car says? <laughs> um, so as you can imagine, the guy in front of me, all he sees is that I just pulled up on him super fast. And so he does, which he does what I probably would have done in that situation. He just wants to make a statement, right? So he keeps going 30. Yeah, and now I'm I'm sitting on him, but I love this guy. The guy the the guy next to me isn't going much faster, and so I can't just get out of the situation. You're boxed in. Yeah, I got you in a police. Three uh, seconds maneuver. into this thing, the guy just hits his brakes, brake checks me hard, and I I, I pull off, and then he keeps going thirty, and I'm like, I'm too mad to talk through the lesson that's playing out, you know, live for my son right there. Um, so I, all I can do is just wait and tell you that the guy in the left lane is going to go fast enough that I can move around this guy, or this guy's going to stop making an example of the situation. Uh, no, 30 feet down the road, another brake check. He brake checked me six times and never got even close to the speed limit. So finally I get around him, but just as I get in the other lane and I try to speed up to go the speed limit. He goes the speed limit, and he's just yeah. looking at my window the whole time like, yeah, aren't you cool? And I look like a total tool because I'm in this big, giant Superban, you know. And um, so I, I, I told, I prefaced that lesson with, son, what I did was wrong because, you know, I could have just pulled off the guy. I could have just pulled off of him, but I just kind of stayed put because I, I don't know about you, but when somebody brake checks you, I suddenly become father bear about everybody and everything in the car. Like, how dare you put my life at risk and my child's yeah, life like at risk. Like he knows who's in your car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So even though you just came up on his ass at 160 miles an hour. <laughs> exactly. He he struck first in my mind. Um, so it was just this big ball of misunderstanding. Anyway, we get home and I have to preface it with, a, what I did was wrong, son. I should have just pulled off, but... 
And then I Googled it before I told him the rest of the lesson. And after I Googled it, I, I learned that definitely brake checking, at least in this state, is illegal. And so you can't make a statement to somebody else by brake checking them. Um, so I went back and I was like, just so you know, I, I know. wasn't completely in the wrong though, son. You know, and then I got to tell the, the whole story of how wrong that guy was. So that felt kind of good, but that's not my story. <laughs> oh, I thought we were done. <laughs> More swearing. Shit. Dang it. That pizza's getting cold. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I do want to say, I, I want to clarify, I run the speed limit many times I'm running significantly over yeah, the speed limit. So I'm not like I'm not that guy. No, totally. You know, I'm not like running 45 and a 55. I'm usually running 65 and a 55, maybe even 70. Yeah, and uh, I'm only like in the in the passing lane in the left lane if I'm passing somebody. So like I'm in the slow lane regardless, running over the speed limit. So if you're on my ass, that's on you, bro. Yeah, because he's got you know options. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like those people. The people that have options. There's two people that bother me the most. People that have options and they still ride you. They could get in the left or right lane and pass you, and they don't. And then late mergers. I can't stand late late mergers. Oh yeah, those people that try to get twelve or thirteen cars ahead <sighs> of everybody else, like they're special. Yeah, they'll they'll ride all the way up to the shoulder and then just sit there with their blinker on and get mad at people that don't let them in. You know, and you know what trained us for that as drivers was the lunch line in elementary school. <laughs> yeah, the kid that's in line, and then his friend comes up. He's like, "Hey, friend, let me just—I'm just, just going to talk to you for a minute." And oh, look at that! Now and I'm in line. Slowly start orienting their body, yeah, more into the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those people end up uh, wealthy and living in Sun Valley, Idaho. And when you and go here to we a, are, yeah. And when you go to a Tony Braxton concert and the line's really long, you get to see all those same people that you saw on the lunch line merging in front of you at the Tony Braxton concert. So you saw, you went to a Tony Braxton concert. My friends had tickets to a YouTube. You concert. went to a Tony Braxton concert. I will clarify. My friends had tickets to. You went to a Tony Braxton concert. <laughs> yes, with my girlfriend. <laughs> they went to YouTube, and I. Actually sold. You went to a U two concert. They did, and I sold my U two ticket to go to Tony Braxton with my girlfriend. You were wanting. You were originally wanting to go to a U two concert. Well, between the two, you're gonna pick between the two. I'm going to hell. <laughs> I chose Tony Braxton, and I will tell you to this day, I totally regret it. It was a nightmare. I still remember the time. I'm not over the time that you two, against my will, put their new shitty album on my iTunes, and I was never able to get it off of it. You remember that? And it was awful. Oh, I hated that. It made me so mad. I was. It 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 wasn't quite as big of an affront. Do you remember what was on Windows three point one? Do you remember what song was on there? No, the sweater song from Weezer. Do you know that? This has came up at some point in TCK. This same conversation. Yeah. Well, I figure we're not on TCK, so we could... The sweater song. If you want to destroy my sweater. Oh, I've never oh, heard oh. that one. Oh, wow. You're missing out. You should go check it out. I'll do that. I'll play you eight seconds of it right here. Okay. If you want to destroy my sweater, hold this bed as I walk away. And that was the Weezer sweater song, so... 
Okay. All right. Now that we've both covered what annoys us the most, actually, I haven't because I just gave an addendum to your annoyance. Here's mine. I think the most annoying thing is probably the way that we treated Freddie Prince Jr. The guy from award-winning movies like She's All That. I know who Freddie Prince Jr. is. Epics. I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Or also yeah. known as IKWYDLS by fans. <laughs> anyway, do you know what happened to him? I think he died. No. Oh, is he still alive? Yeah, he had a sitcom for like eight eight minutes, and then after I've been that, people he's been dead for years. No. <laughs> well, you need to stop, sir, because he's not dead. He's actually probably doing something that you have been consuming, procuring, and appreciating for quite a while, and that I was is on Pornhub. <laughs> How would I know? You can never see the men's faces. That's a good point, yeah. Okay. Thank God. Now, he is now a writer, producer, and director for WWE Wrestling. Freddie Prince Jr. is a writer and producer and director for for wrestling? Yeah. Yeah. He got hired as a writer, producer, and director Why? for WWE. I don't know. He, I, I, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy, but he is that guy. Interesting, huh? Yeah. So personally, that's one of my greatest annoyances is that we just let him flitter away from acting to actually disappear behind the scenes in WWE. That seems like a, a waste of, of an opportunity as, as purveyors of movies. But anyway. We did the same thing with Ashton Kutcher and Josh Hartnett. Yeah, Josh Hartnett for sure, right? He just kind of bounced um, actually, he was in, he's in a movie either that's out or coming out. Uh, so he's and he did a really cool one a little while ago where he like died on a mountainside. Seen that one? No. Yeah, you'll have to look it up. I can't remember the title, but it was pretty neat. All right. No, Ashton Kutcher is fighting pedophilia. He's fighting pedophilia. He he's saving the Ukraine or saving Ukraine currently with his with his wife, Annika Kornikonika. Can't remember her Nailed name. Nailed it. But, uh, but back to my annoyance, uh, so, sometimes the people that you want to stick around a long time don't. And, and a bunch of people that you'd be okay with if they accidentally drank bleach don't happen to drink bleach and stick around way past their fresh estate. Like the CEO of Nestle who said that water is not a public right. Oh. And if you think that's just a silly thing, here's a fun fact to know and share. Nestle maintains the rights to a massive amount of California's spring water. Or if he's not annoying enough for you, how about the person that wrote the last episode of Dexter? They should be stretched on a torture device for sure. Or I haven't seen it, but I know my wife was very upset. Her and the rest of the, the Dexterians out there. Or how about the dude that decided to cancel Firefly? Haven't seen it. Yeah. I think that's that's something from Twilight, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> it's going good. Yeah. yeah. Immediate death sentence, in my opinion, for those two, though. I think that these people should run out of oxygen in a glass box set out for all to gaze at as they take their last stupid breaths in a public square somewhere. Bless their hearts. So with love. Can we throw Martin Screlly in there too? Yeah, that guy. I think actually he'll be killed soon. I don't imagine how. Fingers crossed. You know, someone, some, some old veteran is just gonna you know, go to his cabinet of rewards and find that uh, seven six two round that he saved from some ancient war, and he's gonna load it. 
show up on Martin's doorstep, I think. After he gets out of prison. Is he still in prison? Yeah. Yeah, he is right now, I think. Making the most of it. I hope he's getting violated on a daily basis. He's dead to me already. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but sometimes we just don't get our way, and we can't send mind bullets to vanquish our ideological enemies uh, just at our will. Sometimes, actually, our enemies are a necessary part of daily life, like in the country of Siam. Hey, Kent, have you ever heard of the country of Siam? It's in Vietnam, isn't it? It was Siam until 1939. After that, its name was changed to Thailand. Oh, okay. I've heard of Thailand. Well, way off. It's out there. You know, it, it, it would be considered an of Asian influence, I guess you could say. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of annoying, it seems like the earth actually itself feels that Thailand is that l- annoying little brother with peanut sauce and jelly all over its face because the earth seems to keep trying to wipe it off of the face of itself constantly. That place is like one rip curl away from being a coral reef place is always hit with tsunamis, tsunamis. and tidal waves and hurricanes. Yeah. yeah. The Lord really has a problem with those um, man boys. I believe they're the Thailandese is what you say. That's what they yeah. are. But anyway, before it was Thailand, it was Siam. And since the mid-14th century or the 1300s, as it's also called, because we like to have things that are confusing. Its ancient leaders were very wise, even when they were super annoyed. And they were annoyed a lot. You see, back then, the great leaders of Siam always held what was called court. Court was a vital component to any medieval ruler. Court was like the center of government. And the monarch or the ruler officially lived wherever court was held. Think of it like 50 Cent's house during that first year after he dropped his first album, Get Richard or Die Trying. Yeah, you almost got it there. So his house was a lot like court, just a constant party, you know, paid for by the ruler. Everybody's paid for, right? And just like 50 Cent's entourage, the courtiers, which were what they were called, Uh, those people who were expected to spend the majority of their time at the service of the ruler by being president at courts, nobles or people of nobility were top-tier courtiers. But the court was also full of like non-noble riffraff like clergy and soldiers, clerks, secretaries, middlemen. You know, court was always plopping off, as 50 would famously say. But as you can imagine, when you have that many people who are hoping to live off the courtly teat of the ruler, there will be plenty of people that attend for selfish or nefarious reasons. The problem was a ruler couldn't just go around devising ways to kill every leeching noble. After all, even if they were annoying, they served a purpose. Courtiers or noblemen They managed a part, place, or like a portion of the ruler's kingdom somewhere. And if you started dissolving nobles in acid every time they bothered you, soon you'd have all of the nobles, or basically your whole kingdom, giving you your own butyric acid bubble bath soon enough. So Siamese rulers were all fans of the Godfather movies and subscribed to the same philosophy of keep your friends close and your enemies closer. So, often, some courtier somewhere posed a threat to the ruler, but instead of retaliating against that noble, the Siamese ruler would act as the best friend that that noble had ever known. 
They'd be lavished at court. They'd be given private time with the ruler. And finally, the ruler would offer them the gift that no one dared to refuse. Death for the courtier was dicey. Banishment might be baneful, and too many nobles in prison is perilous for a ruler. All of these pose problems for a ruler trying to deal with a nettlesome noble. So Siamese rulers killed them with kindness. You see, there were some gifts from the king that were so sacred and their existence so hallowed that simply possessing it was of the highest honor. So Eastern legend traced some of these gifts back as far as history was recorded, and anyone found as the guardian of these gifts was seen by society as holding extreme responsibility on their shoulders. But how does giving the most important hallowed gift of the kingdom to an enemy do any harm, the operator, you may ask? Were the kings just so humble that they would sacrifice the most important thing? How does that solve a problem? Well, I'm going to tell you. Well, you see, the king would call the courtier to court and present them with this great gift. And immediately, the noble would have to reassign all of their resources, all of their assets and time to the protection, the maintenance and upkeep of their bright new bestowal. The resources for maintaining and protecting this new gift were massive. The time taken to be on constant alert and to shield the gift from any harm was exhausting. In fact, only a ruler truly was rich enough to shoulder the burden. Any basic nobleman would go bankrupt with the prospect of protecting one of these sacred packages. And therein lies the genius of the gift. None dared refuse the gift, and once you possessed it, it would bankrupt you. And once you are bankrupt, you must return the gift for fear of the worldly and spiritual repercussions brought upon your head for faltering in your fostering duties. So, bankrupt and destitute, and now demoted in the eyes of the kingdom, a pesky noble would slink off in disgrace to seek work as a barista, probably. Probably. And to this day, we actually use a phrase that has survived for centuries— a phrase that you have used, Kent, describing any useless boondoggle or money-draining milestone around your neck like teenagers or cabins or an RV that you're paying on that just sits there for two and a half years between uses or using a 99 Suburban as your daily driver when gas costs are nearing the price of a gallon of human blood. But these two common words can represent anything that costs more to keep than to kill. And so, often with smirk on our face, we wrap up these mighty money pits and humbly offer them as gifts for others to wrestle with, the care and the feeding of our own white elephant gifts. So two things up. Yeah. We just we just went through a roller coaster of a story about the explanation of the origin of white elephant. Yeah. Gifts. Yeah. Yep. But more Impressive, even than your story, is how many words that you intentionally tried to put together that start with the same letter. Yeah, that's called polygamy. I thought polygamy was whenever you had more than one wife. No, that's when you have more than one word with the first letter that's the same as the other words. Polygamy. It's right there in the name. Part of the part of the name. The problem I had never heard of white elephant gift. 
You've never heard a white elephant gift. I haven't. So this whole this whole story was stupid to you then. It's just <laughs> bummer thing. I was hoping to drop some knowledge bombs on you and here here I don't. So okay, in Western culture at least, a white elephant gift is something that you would take to like a Christmas party. And everybody brings a white elephant gift to exchange. And so you're bringing something that you, you just don't want to keep anymore. Like somebody gave you a fruitcake last year. And so you're going to re-gift it as a white elephant gift. or A fruitcake? Have you ever heard of fruitcake? Yeah, I've yeah. heard of fruitcake. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah, if- it's what they, before t- things got PC, that's what uh, the bullies would use to describe a young man that was a little feminine. Exactly. But you're not taking a feminine man to a party and trying to give him away. That's called indentured servitude. Yeah, we don't do that. You're talking about the actual, the edible uh, yeah, dessert. the one that's made okay. out of concrete and cherries and, and walnuts. Yeah. yeah. So a white elephant gift would be something that you would take to one of these parties and everybody brings one and and then there's a game where you like pass it around and somebody opens one and they're like, oh my gosh, hot pads and then yeah you can either take it or open your own and by the end everybody's disappointed and everybody's gotten something from the dollar store so that's today's white elephant gifts and nobody wants any of exactly but back in the day this was a great way to get rid of people because you know killing people was problematic just banishing them was banishing them to somewhere else but letting them still be a noble was like letting a an enemy of yours uh, still manage property of yours somewhere else. They could still be, you know, quite quite problematic out there. So this way, you give them a giant white elephant, which is a holy sacred creature, and all of the implications that come with managing and taking care of that and making sure it never died, otherwise you're killed and everything. So suddenly your whole life and all of your riches go into taking care of this giant beast and then you're you know then you're bankrupt and you have to give it back so it's a brilliant actually way of doing I it. learned a lot and I did not expect to come into this learning a lot I figured that you're about to say you learned a lot against your will which that that too okay yeah fair enough I guess you are under contract here so I can only expect so much joy and peace <laughs> So, uh, or some people call it indentured servitude. You yeah, that up. right. You fruitcake. <laughs> See what I did there? It's like comedic. Uh, it's got a callback back to the source. <laughs> Oof. But for people that knew what a white elephant gift was from the get go, that was a that had to have been a fascinating story. I would hope so. Unfortunately, you're recording with how we already uh, talked about earlier a total dipshit. Swear it. So. <laughs> For you, it was a great education point that now you can bring to every Christmas party you ever go to henceforth. So that's that's fun. That's pretty fun. And for everybody else, surprise, that's where we got white elephant gifts from. So oof. This was this is this was a roller coaster of excitement. I, I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed this op. Me too. I've got, I've got to be honest. I'm really excited about this. You just said I, me I, too. That was kind of rude. You did. You didn't. You weren't expecting to enjoy this. <laughs> oh, I guess since I created the show, I guess I should should say yes. I expected it to be a, just a passel of pleasure. So, kind of hurt there, my feelings. There I go again bit. with all my polygamous talk. 
Double double P's. <laughs> well, um, you know, that's it. So do you like this podcast? If so, like and subscribe and share it with everybody that you know. Like us. Reach out to us and say hi. We like it when people say hi. And finally, if you've got a great... You didn't say that nearly robotic enough, by the way. All right, let me try again. <clears throat> Reach out to us and say hi. We like it when people say hi. How's, how's that? Oh, I hate that. Ugh, you can oh. just, you can, you can feel it. Feel the mankiness in the air when I say it like that. <sighs> I like it when people say hi. Listen to a GPS tell you a podcast. <laughs> That is a great way to put it. For those of you who aren't in on the inside joke, right now we're making fun of a guy named Aaron Mankey who has several podcasts that are blurry-eyed successful. One's called Lore. He's got another one called Cabinet of Curiosities. The guy is a juggernaut. A little bit of an odd voice, but I got to be honest, I I really like his shows. I I yeah, do. I do too. It makes me mad. Makes me so angry that I like him so much, but I I really do. I really like his shows. And um, yeah, so if you like us, reach out and say hi. We like it when people say hi. That's one of his taglines. Um, do you think you've got a great story? If you do, and you think it has the cred to be told on the show, send us a message. Go to 1159media.com and shoot us a outline or a PowerPoint, or I'm really hoping, Kent, that this audience is a whole bunch of fresh new faces. I we built 911 calls podcast with the operator, thinking that we were building the junk food of podcasts, and that it was a family show, and we were really going to tap into the soccer mom market. And we did that to a little degree. It's hard to tap into the soccer mom market when you're driving a 99 lifted Suburban, though. It's true. I don't really fit the M.O. Uh, So I'm hoping that, I don't know, maybe fun stories that aren't about true criminals, uh, you know, reaches deep, deep down into that well of soccer motherhood and pulls everybody out of their minivans and out of their Starbucks and into our microphones. So... Anyway, if you want more 1159 Media shows and exclusive stuff, you can support us on Patreon, too. For just the cost of a cup of gas, you, too, can help us pay the bills. Head over to patreon.com forward slash 1159media, where you will be presented with a literal cornucopia of shows, yea, verily, about 10 whole podcasts, exclusive uncut content and live meetups. You can join over 3,000 other hug dealers that help us to keep these weird shows alive. You're on a handful of them. We've already mentioned True Crime Kent. You're also on one called Brutal, right, Kent? The only one I'm not on is Dark Topic. Yeah, well, that's because no one's on Dark Topic (laughs) except for Jack. (laughs) Jack's been smart in not allowing anyone to sully the, the name or brand of Dark Topic. But yeah, Dark Topic is there. On Patreon, we really try to do... Uh, do our people a solid. For $5, you get basically a whole network's worth of shows as opposed to other people that podcasters that might do a Patreon thing where they just give you their own show and then maybe some kind of like an after show or after birth. We, we try to just pack it full of exclusive shows and stuff. So check us out there if you're... And I apologize if you're listening to this and you're already a Patreon supporter because the last five minutes have been a total waste of your time. But... Anyway, you got anything you want to add? 
can't. No. Okay. Bye. Well, you have a pizza to eat. Yep. And I have some editing to do on this episode. Yeah. So, hey, will you yeah, have you fun do. eating your pizza? And I'll see you next year, next week, next month for the next Never Daily episode of the Hugs podcast. Hugs, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>